conventional wisdom says young people don't listen to the radio. That's a bald-faced lie. Radio is more popular now than it has been in years. On this edition of Radio Survivor, we meet two college broadcasters who beg to differ. We also catch up on what's going on with non-commercial radio's most important music charting service. Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Riesmanella. I'm one of your hosts, and joining me from San Francisco, California via Skype is Jennifer Waits. Hello, greetings. And uh, Eric cannot be with us today, and we're going to nerd out on college radio. So he's going to, I mean, it's his loss, because he loves that when we nerd out on college radio. I know, he'll be bummed. He likes hearing about my tours also. So I'm sad that he, well, he'll get to hear the podcast. So yeah, he just doesn't get to participate. Yeah. It's all good. It's his loss as we say, but yeah, we've got a, we've got some, um, college radio news to go over and, and it's actually, I mean, it's college radio news, but it's actually news of importance to, uh, all of non-commercial radio, which includes commercial radio, includes uh, in- internet radio of many sorts, including uh, college radio, and, and it's important to the music industry. We're going to sort of follow up actually on, on uh, I think, something we've talked about uh, many times before. And then uh, we're going to talk about two stations that you toured last fall, correct? Was it last fall already? Yes, October. Wow. All right. See how far behind we are. But you, you uh, knocked off a lot of stations in that in that loop through uh, the Mid-South, I suppose we call it, the Ozarks. Yes, I know. And I'm still not done. It's like every day I have a feeling of guilt over not being on top of writing up all my tours. But it's kind of like that's the burden of getting out to visit so many stations is, you know, you have to write it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. If folks would help out with the Patreon, <laughs> we might be able to speed up that timeline there a little bit. I don't know. Uh, ra- That's true. Radiosurvivor.com yeah. slash support. Yes. As we've discussed previously, our, our paid work often supersedes our unpaid work. So and, and the, yes. radio, the radio survivor stories I'm not paid for. So. Um, yep, this is still all sadly. a volunteer. We 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 were able to help you out a little bit in the travels because of 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 the amazing people who do help us out with the with our Patreon, and that could be you too. We'll put it up there at the front instead of the back. Uh, as little as a dollar a month helps us to do more of what we do and go more places and see more stations. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash radio survivor or find it at radiosurvivor.com slash support. And hey, while you're at it. While we're distracting you from the main business, um, it would be great if you'd rate or review us at iTunes because that's still the way that so many people find new podcasts or go looking for podcasts. And when you rate or review our show there, it bubbles up. It's more likely to get recommended. It's more likely to show up maybe in a place like New new and Noteworthy or to uh, move up on the uh, politics and news charts, even though we're not talking – persistently about the uh about the new uh, executive administration in washington give us a chance help us out uh give us a rating or a review there at itunes all right <laughs> we've now pitched it uh so <laughs> we're gonna talk we're talking about cmj again um why are we talking about this uh very long-standing music journal well there, there have been sort of um, grumblings and signs for a while that all was not right at CMJ. And this week, Pitchfork published an article talking more in depth about that. And CMJ is an organization that is sort of an intermediary for the music industry and independent radio. So college radio, community radio, internet radio, um stations like that subscribe to the CMJ service. And as part of that submit weekly charts of their most played albums to CMJ and CMJ compiles these into these overarching charts that then they provide to the music industry and it all involves subscriptions. So people who are musicians or record labels subscribe to CMJ to get access to this data about what independent radio stations are playing. 
And then radio stations pay CMJ a subscription in order to partake in this service. So it's in the news because um, Pitchfork is reporting that for the second week in a row, CMJ did not publish its weekly charts. And people are also saying that the last known employee of CMJ may have just left. And we've written about and talked about in the past year about a number of people leaving CMJ and, and things have happened already. Like, um, content on their website has slowed down. So there hasn't been any new content on the website since last summer. Hmm. Um, although public, there's some public information on the website that anybody can see. So they had some editorial content that stopped last summer and then they had public facing charts. So kind of like a summary of the charts. And the last one of those was from December, 2016. And then social media for CMJ stopped last summer as well. So, you know, a lot of people have been sort of uneasy about what's going on there. Um, but the charts, you know, despite all of this other sort of flux, the charts have been being published every week. So stations have continued to submit uh, what they've been playing to CMJ. But after having charts not published for two weeks in a row, Pitchfork wrote this article about CMJ diving into everything that's been going on. Um, so, I mean, just from my own college radio connections, I know people have been struggling to get in touch with people at CMJ, even over the past year. Um, so like if you want to renew your subscription, sometimes people have had trouble doing that. (laughs) So, and, and, and I think, you know, that we talk about subscription, it's important to point out that the roots of CMJ are as a journal. It was a print journal for 20 some years, uh, that in addition to publishing these charts also published, Articles about artists often re- reported about radio stations themselves, uh, you know, was was sort of, you know, a kind of alternative music, college music journal beyond just these charts. And that legacy moved over to the web a number of years ago. But it seems as though now uh, all that is almost kind of left is just these charts. And, and of course, also, the um, as we talked about last fall, they would hold... Uh, a big conference uh, and festival in New York City every fall. And the reason we talked about CMJ last fall is because it looked as though uh, the annual music marathon wasn't going to happen in fall 2016, although there were still, you know, the uh, the folks in charge of CMJ were saying, oh, no, it's still going to happen, even though it seemed kind of late to pull it off. And as it turns out, it it didn't happen. And so now we're sort of the, the, the marathon's not happening or hasn't happened in the last year. Uh, there's no more sort of editorial content. There's no more articles. There's no more print paper. The website seems to be mostly fallow. And the last thing that was going was the charts. And now it's been two weeks without a chart. Is that kind of right. an accurate summary of yeah, how we got yeah. to where we are? Exactly. And thanks for bringing up the marathon, you know, cause that was, um, that's something that really caught everyone's attention when it didn't happen last fall. So, so yeah, that's kind of the status. Um, and the other thing that happened in December, a lawsuit was filed. Uh, a couple of employees filed a lawsuit saying that they hadn't been paid, I think for about six months. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there, you know, there, there's uncertainty at CMJ, um, the owner of CMJ wrote to some folks, you know, calling for patience again. So it's kind of similar to what we heard after the marathon. You know, so CMJ is not saying that CMJ is dead. They're not saying that charts are dead. Right. Um, they're saying kind of hold on. We're trying to get things figured out. Um, but in the meantime, you know, a lot of people I know in college radio, it's making them sort of nervous. Um so people, some stations have started, and, and, and people appreciate having a place to send their charts um, because college radio does have a connection with the industry, and by publishing your charts, 
musicians and labels see what you're doing. And sometimes that means that you'll get sent more free music. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, that station. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, I think that that's an, for folks who may not have worked in this side, you know, as a music director or, you know, weren't always aware how stations get their music. The largest percentage of it is sent to them by labels and artists uh, for free. Right. And and it's certainly the case that stations will go out and buy music, often maybe catalog music that maybe predates when the station was on the air or things that were lost over time that are very of a great historical value or things uh, that would just never get sent for free. But most of it comes in that way. And when a, a label or an artist sends you their music, I mean, they, they kind of want some assurance that it might get played. And that varies from station to station. But one way that this is demonstrated is your chart. You show, hey, here's the top however many, 20, 30 uh, albums or tracks we played this week. And when it's published in some place like a, a big music journal like CMJ, it proves to label, no, we're, we're really doing this. We're really a player in this. We actually play this music. We're participating in all of this. And to some extent, it says you can trust us. Like yeah, these CDs it, that you send us aren't just going to go home in some DJ's book bag, right? <laughs> right. And um, so in addition to kind of these all-encompassing charts of, you know, what were the top things that were played in a given week – CMJ also published genre charts, so you could submit, you know, these are the top, I forget if it's 10 or 20, but, you know, these are the top 10 um, metal albums of the week or the top 10 jazz albums. So it was also a way for labels and promoters and artists to know, like, oh, that station is playing underground music or that station is playing um, international music or that station is playing jazz so then they could target, you know, who they're going to send music to. So, so with CMJ charts being sort of uncertain, and, and people have been feeling this uncertainty for a while, so um, some services have been sort of in the wings creating alternative services. Alternative, alternative charts, chart, yeah. Alternative charting services, um, one of which is Spinatron, which is an online playlist tool that stations can subscribe to. It was actually created by a college radio participant at WZBC at Boston College originally. And so if you subscribe and use that service, it's automatically compiling charts, which is really cool. And so now those are being published in a more official sort of way. Um, and so it's automatic. If you're already using the Spinatron playlist tool, then your charts um, are there. And then another company, the North American College and Community Radio Chart, or NAC for short, had a soft launch last summer and then officially launched this January. And so they've started collecting charts from radio stations And I think they're now up to maybe 200 stations reporting charts to them, and it's free. So I think for some stations, like they're feeling, if they're feeling CMJ is uncertain, some have started to report to NAC because why not? You know, it's Mm -hmm. free. Um, And and then if they use Spinatron, then they've been, they're already contributing to Spinatron for all intents and purposes. Yeah. So there are these two services. and then Medium Rotation, which it used to be a, an online community for college radio participants, you know, kind of like a chat board. They, that uh, website got resurrected and in October, and they're publishing Spinatron charts in a more um, chart-like format maybe than on the Spinatron site. So they're kind of packaging it up and then offering some editorial describing what happened during that week in college radio charts. So, so looking so a little bit more like billboard in that way. Yeah. So, and, and both, um, both sites have a little bit of editorial medium rotation has a blog. Uh, they've actually mentioned radio survivor on it, which is nice. So they're starting to write about, a little bit about blog, a little bit about the culture of college radio and about what's going on in the charts. Um, and, um, I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) So, I mean, right. So what it seems like here is that, you know, part of this is that the, 
the kind of technology required to do this has shifted a lot since CMJ was founded. Because exactly. it was founded in the days when stations would fax in <laughs> their charts for the week that they had compiled probably by hand, looking at handwritten uh, individual playlists. Uh, you know, or chart or rotations, depending on the kind of station it it, it was. And I'm trying to remember. I think I might have even called in charts. Yeah, I, I think there were people who would call in. I think there were a lot of <laughs> options. I think they're trying to push people to faxing because it was uh, less labor intensive. The new technology, right? And then you know, and then still they they sort of kept with the times, and you, people moved to email or moved then to being able to log into a to a computer system online. But you know, it was a print publication, and it, people still relied upon it. And you know, sort of every. Everything moved online and CMJ moved with it, but that sort of then opens the door to other players because you don't need to print things. You don't, you know, you don't need to have the same kind of staffing to have to sort through all these, uh, exactly. you know, handwritten or printed out charts. Um, so much easier. And, and it doesn't seem like, it, it really se- doesn't seem like there were tons of of companies or organizations waiting in the wings to do this so much as that with CMJ apparently faltering, you know, and, and those signs of faltering having been sort of clear now for going on about 18 months, folks said, hey, this is still an important service and perhaps was the most valuable service that CMJ had to offer on a consistent basis. Uh, we need to we need to step in. This is important. This is this is good for the validity and the sustenance of of music on community and college radio on the one hand. And on the other hand, there is sort of an independent-minded music industry that relies much more on this than, you know, than on than the industry that relies on the next uh, hit single from Beyonce. Yeah. And, and I mean, kind of along with that, I might add that the North American College and Community Radio Chart was started by some people who are music promoters. So, hmm. you know, they see the value you know, promoters and labels see the value in having access to these charts. They also like to see what um, what music a station has added in a given week, and that was another service that CMJ provided in addition to charts. They would have lists of, you know, he, here are the albums that were most added. Right, you know, and that, that means that, that they record libraries. Right, literally started getting played on air that week. Yeah. So, and that's something, you know, if you're a music promoter, you might spend a lot of time hounding college radio music directors, asking them, oh, did you get our CD in the mail? Did you add it to rotation? Is it right. getting played? And so to take a little bit of, uh, you know, it takes a little bit off of the music director if um, if people in the industry can just look at these charts and lists of what's what's being newly added to stations. Right. And, um, and you'll see that in, in, in advertising, you don't even have to look at like a CMJ. You could even look at uh, some of the sort of corporate commercial uh, radio uh, journals online, like all access. And you'll see ads for, you know, an album on the country charts or the pop charts. It says most added this week. And it'll list off maybe some of the most prominent stations and CMJ. You'd see the same ads only. They might list off WFMU or, or, you know, or, or another uh, well-known uh, community or college station. Uh, yeah, you know, because it, you know, again, the other station would say, "Oh, well, if this station, you know, will add it, maybe we should consider it." Or, you mm-hmm. know, exactly, it has that sort of uh, it is it, it there is a peer group, if you will. But, you know, it seems to me that this is this is going to be hard to walk back from. Now, I don't want to dance in anyone's grave. I really don't, because CMJ is, I think, in my opinion, at the very least, has provided a truly valuable service to independent music and independent non-commercial radio for a very long time. And it's had its ups and downs and it's, you know, like any organization that lasts that long, it's made mistakes, but for the most part, it's been a very consistent stalwart service. But with the loss of the marathon, right. And, and, and then, you know, sort of the loss of the editorial content, the charts is all that's left. And, I'm not sure if they come back after so many weeks, if folks, if the stations will come back or the labels will come back because there's going to be doubts in your mind. Is this going to be worth one, our money and our effort at this point, especially if there are these other services kind of picking up the slack, uh, what would make folks move back to CMJ, which otherwise starts to look like an anachronism. I know it's, 
it makes me really sad. Um, I, you know, as a longtime college radio person, I have a long love for CMJ. And the first time I went to New York City was for a CMJ music marathon when I was in college. Um, and, and I really appreciated the breadth of services they provided. So it's been sad to see all of that whittling away, particularly in the past year. Um, you know, and you and I went to a CMJ regional conference in Portland that was super cool. And I was hoping that that was kind of a sign of things to come that, that CMJ would actually be expanding and doing more than just the New York marathon every year. So I, I think it makes me even sadder because I saw that they were maybe on the cusp of doing some additional interesting things. Um, but it, it just seems like they've had some structural, some major structural issues that, you know, are sort of, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how they come back from them. And yeah, I, it, I mean, I mean, right. It, 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 we don't want to get too far into that. Uh, I think we can definitely direct people to the uh, article in Pitchfork, once again, doing some good journalism, uh, informative and not one-note journalism as well about college radio and things important to college radio. I think we can direct people to that particular article and some of the previous coverage for those who want to know more about the sort of uh, the inside details and the financial problems of the organization that currently owns CMJ. And it's important to note that it's, that it is a different owner than, than it's a relatively new owner, all things considered, not the same folks who started and ran it many years ago. Exactly. Yeah. And Pitchfork has done a great job with a series of articles investigating various aspects of what's been happening at CMJ. And I've appreciated that, you know, cause we can't, I don't have the time to do investigative pieces about everything. So it's nice when somebody else does a really good job. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, uh, Pitchfork brings in ad money. <laughs> Quite a bit of it, in fact. They are a commercial organization and, and they do a lot of good work. So that is, I'm, I'm not looking down my nose at them at all. And we are grateful that they're, that they're doing real journalism on this stuff. Yeah. We'd love yeah, to be I able to do that. And we would be that. able to do more of that. Um, if the funding were there to support it. But in that absence, we're, we're certainly grateful for them to do it. And I think even with regard to like uh, like a music marathon, I, you know, nowadays with with regional music festivals, with, you know, whether it's like a South by Southwest on the one hand or like smaller ones, like even Tree Fort Festival, that which happens in Boise, Idaho, like I know college stations are going there now, right? And, and maybe going someplace more nearby, um, rather than, than necessarily saving their money to go to Marathon. And then many of these other smaller music festivals also are, are have panel discussions and, you know, sort of have these other uh, side events next to the concerts as well, you know, giving there's much more going on. There's many more, uh, many more things for college stations to go to. And it may be already even too late for CMJ to kind of recapture its former near monopoly, I think on, on, on that, uh, section of the market. It's yeah, it's sad. It's very sad. It's unfortunate. It is to sad. And, you know, in addition to that, um, they provided college radio programming at their conference, meaning they had an entire day that was just panel discussions, about college radio. So I think maybe some station, some stations might only have the budget to go to one con conference a year. So it might mean that some stations that were going to CMJ are now checking out some of the other college radio conferences mm -hmm. that are out there. And, and I know of some stations that are starting up their own regional conferences too, including in Arkansas, which I was really excited to hear about that some college radio stations that I met with in Arkansas are going to have their first meeting of a new Arkansas college radio organization this month. So there, there's plenty of room for people to do their own DIY events as well. Well, well, that's a great uh, segue. Let's just jump in and let's, let's, let's yeah. virtually travel down to Arkansas. Cause I'm really excited to hear about uh, the station that you visited at the university of Ozarks, K U O Z and it, it's a low-power station, and why I was particularly excited to hear about it is because 
it is what we might call a legacy low-power FM station in that this one is not a station that went on the air in this as part of this last licensing window that happened in 2013. This station dates back from when low-power uh, FM first became a service uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, and so it's been around now for how long? 15, 16 years? It, well, it launched in 2003 okay. over low-power FM. So quite a while. And then before that, um, I mean, it's actually really interesting radio history to me because it started as a carrier current station in 1984, and then they added campus cable in 1990. So at the time, they were sort of doing a little bit of carrier current, a little bit of campus cable. And, and that lasted pretty much up until the time that they were applying for the low-power FM station, which launched around the same time that a new building was built for the program where the radio station is housed. So, it, you know, there's a long, interesting radio history on campus, and it's, you know, indicative of all the different ways, of many of the different ways that college radio stations get their signal out there to their community. Um, but yeah, it, it was exciting to hear about one of these early low-power FM stations. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting that they had this service and it sounds like, you know, the, the station stayed running when it was a uh, carrier current, uh, which is a, a low power unlicensed AM and then Cape, campus cable, which I, I assume that means that they were either piped in via basically speaker to some places or, or was there like a campus cable TV system that you could hook up a radio? Do you know? Yeah, they had, um, so they have, well, they still have a television station. Um, so it was part of, I think, the system where their campus television it was part of that whole system. And mm -hmm. so maybe like a few hours a day, the radio station would be on that signal. Oh, right. That, Probably with like a like a like a, a, a community bulletin board or something, uh -huh. you know, sort of like static changing uh, text and such. Exactly. And that was that was really common. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounds like when they started broadcasting um over that, over the campus cable, it was super exciting for the students because they felt like they were getting a bigger audience right. than, than with carrier current. And, and that probably prompted them to think more about, oh, what if we could get even bigger, you know, with mm -hmm. low power FM and reach the whole community. It's, it's in a small town in Arkansas called Clarksville. And as I was driving there, I kept thinking about the monkeys song. Yeah, I was going to ask you, know, you, did you take the last train? <laughs> <laughs> the last train to Clarksville. And and it was so funny because I found out as I was writing up my piece a few months after the visit, I found out that the first song that was played on the carrier current station there was actually the monkeys song, the last train to Clarksville. Of course. It's, it's um, too apropos an opportunity to turn down. I know. It turns out that the song is really about sort of a mythical Clarksville. So not necessarily about Arkansas, but you know, it's still a nice connection nonetheless. And it's a really small school, right? This is not, Tiny. this is not an enormous university. Yeah. The school has around 700 students. So I'm not sure that I, I don't know if I've, that, it might be the smallest student population. Uh, it's, it might be the, the, the radio station at the smallest school that I've ever visited as far as population of students. Hmm. Um, so when I arrived, the person I was supposed to meet with wasn't there, but somebody else in the building was like, oh, yeah, he's my roommate. I'll give him a call. And I was like, oh, wow, that's a crazy coincidence. And then later on when I realized that there are only 700 students there, it kind of made more sense that probably everybody there knows everybody. And um, But it was, it was very – I met with uh, two of the student managers. One operates sort of as a station manager and one – is largely the music director and they were both incredibly welcoming um even before my visit like very responsive over facebook um which is interesting like often i have a hard time getting in touch with people at radio stations so mm -hmm. sometimes i'll resort to facebook and it turns out that their their website is sort of stagnant because the university is working on revamping i guess all of the web properties so the schedule information and everything about the radio station on their website is super outdated. 
so they're they're often using Facebook and other social media as the more up to the minute um, as the up to the minute place to be promoting station news and events and radio shows. So it turned out that was the best way to actually reach somebody at the station was through a Facebook message. Well, and I I mean, frankly, that makes sense. I mean, that, that is really a dominant communications methodology, not just for young people, but in general these days. Uh, you know, it seemed interesting to me that, that they are resilient in that way and turning to these tools uh, to keep their presence online fresh. And, and I think you mentioned to me that they, they do Facebook Live events, correct? Oh, I don't know about that. Okay, so I, maybe I, maybe <laughs> maybe I maybe I made that up. Um, <laughs> they may, um, but they they definitely uh, emphasize having uh, their shows online and using like say services like SoundCloud uh, to keep their uh, to make their shows accessible. Yeah, and that's that's not uncommon. I've been to a lot of stations uh, where, as part of their archiving, they require DJs to post their shows on SoundCloud afterwards. Um, and I forget if KUOZ actually requires that, but a lot of stations do have that requirement. So it, um, it's, it's interesting to see how tools are used at different stations. And not every station has the ability to post their own archives. So, so people are pretty nimble as far as finding the resources that are available. Well, right. And there are services like SoundCloud or MixCloud, which is another service which is free. I know a lot of stations use because they specifically permit you posting mixes, like, you know, which is basically your radio show, right? Is basically one long mixtape. They take care of the royalties. Uh, as a uh, publisher, you don't have to pay them. Uh, I don't really know how that works, but I do know that it does work. And in fact, I listen to Mixcloud all the time uh, to go check out uh, both radio shows and people's different mixes. And I know a lot of stations uh, take advantage of that because, right, a lot of times working out all the technical details, not to mention the licensing, which is very different, the the, the royalties you have to pay, which is very different online than, uh, than what you pay for uh, putting it out over the air or over even just putting it out um, on a stream versus on demand. Do they, do they have a live stream? Are they? Are they? Do they broadcast online otherwise, or is their footprint? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they definitely do. And you know what? I'm going to go back and correct something. Um, you know, it turns out their cable was was actually cable access, so it was more than campus cable. Oh, okay. So, so like a public more... access channel that would have gone out to the larger community, then. Yeah. So that's why they. Um, yeah. Were excited that... about having a larger audience mm-hmm. because it was you know the community of Clarksville as opposed to just the campus. Absolutely, so. and I've seen that. Uh, that that's a fairly common phenomenon as well. I remember going back a number of years when I lived in Champaign or Ban, Illinois. Uh, the local community college, Parkland College, has a radio station, um, eighty-eight point seven WPCD, I believe. But uh, Parkland College also had a, a public access TV channel, right? That had programming, had some, I think sometimes sort of like learn at home. That's what we used to sort of call like distance learning programs. And then they would run kind of a bulletin board, you know, when they didn't have regular programming on that, you know, would have community, you know, community event listings, tell you what's going on at Parkland. And in the background, they would run their, their radio station, WPCD. And that's, I think, how I first learned about it was actually encountering it on cable, not on the radio going back now 25 years or so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool that people discovered college radio that way. I love that story. And and so you you had a chance to talk with a couple uh, of folks there uh, who are uh, students and and who manage the station. And uh, it's great you had a chance to you had a chance to pose a very provocative question to them. <laughs> yeah. So I talked to Corbin Sturch and Anna Fisk, and as often. I often am amazed at the passion that I hear from young people about radio. And so I asked them to talk a little bit about, you know, these stereotypes that you hear out there about people of their generation, not listening to terrestrial radio. And, you know, since they're at a low power FM station, I thought that they would have an interesting take on it. And they did. You know, people say that, Young people don't listen to radio, but obviously... That's a lie. <laughs> That's a bald-faced lie. Radio is more popular now than it has been in years. And I get feedback from, like, people I know all the time. Like, hey, um, I heard this 
is there a way that maybe this could also be put on there? Like, I literally, at least weekly, probably twice a week, hear from just somebody I know, maybe not even close to, but they're just like, you work on the radio, right? I'm like, yeah. They're like, so, like, what is this show? Or, like, what time does this come on? <laughs> literally, people come to me and ask me that. Not just, like, like uh, adults, but other students, so young people. Doesn't matter what your age you probably listen to the radio at least at some point. I mean, honestly, who sits in their car with silence? Actually, 21 that, pilots. That's a bad example. I've sat in my car for like 12-hour drives in silence. When my radio is not working. <laughs> that's so great to hear, you know, because, <laughs> again, it's, it's, this, it's, it's this constant, uh, I feel like, here on the show and, and on our website, we constantly raise a flag to say, uh, no, radio is not dying and is not dead. <laughs> and that, yes, perhaps uh, there, you know, people who don't li- really listen to radio. But if we if we really kind of take a step back, radio is one of the most popular types of media in the United States and certainly around the world. And here you have a couple of uh, students at, at a college station, ostensibly in their late teens, or early 20s, assuring you <laughs> that, yes, they still listen. Yes, I know. And they, they appreciate it. So yeah, it was super fun to talk to them. And you had a chance to visit another station, so and so this is a a newer station, a community station, but also low power FM station, KPSQ. And so, where are they located? They're in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So this was actually my very first station visit in Arkansas, and I took I think it was like a three hour road trip from Little Rock after I landed. <laughs> in Arkansas to go to Fayetteville. And, and so we already heard my trip to university of Arkansas station in Fayetteville. And then, um, KPSQ is in the old downtown, I guess, historic downtown Fayetteville. Um, there's this great community square and unfortunately I was running super late. So I missed, they were having a, a monthly art event, um, on the square that the station was hanging out at. But I got there late and got there after dark to visit KPSQ, which is a very new low-power FM station. The license is held by the Omni Center for Peace, Justice, and Ecology. And what's really cool to me is that the station is actually housed in a hotel. It's in the Chancellor Hotel in Fayetteville. So I arrived at the hotel and, you know, went to the front desk. (laughs) And so (laughs) where is the station within the hotel? It's upstairs. Um, So it's not like in the lobby. There's, it's not like something which uh, someone could, or, you know, uh, someone who's checking in could wave hello at the DJs or something. No, no, but it's funny because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm used to arriving on a college campus and sort of trying to get my bearings, you know, and figuring out where the radio station is, but I never walked into a hotel you know, sort of trying to get my bearings, wondering where the radio station is. Right. So I took the elevator up a few floors to the hotel and, or to the hotel, to the station. And, um, and during my conversation, I found out that, so when they had been searching for their transmitter for a site for their antenna, um, they thought about approaching this hotel because it has, it's one of the tallest buildings in town. In fact, it might be the tallest building in town. And so they approached the hotel about putting their antenna atop the hotel. And the hotel was like, yeah, uh, yeah, sure, that we could do that. And, you know, do you want studio space too? <laughs> Dream big. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And, and so they're doing this all in exchange for underwriting. Oh, so wow. That is a, a great sweet, arrangement. Sweet yes. deal. Well, uh, and I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and I think, you know, it, it, there's underwriting value, of course, for the hotel, but there's a there's a real PR value to that, to, to, to demonstrating that uh, sort of communitarian spirit, I think, that that is otherwise almost impossible to buy. I know. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was super cool. So the antenna is up above the 16th floor 
um, which is great. And then I think the station is on the third floor and it's on a floor that um, houses offices and restrooms. And apparently, I don't know if the whole station space used to be like a janitorial storage closet. Uh, you know, there are always these fun little tales. I think I've been to a lot of stations actually that used to be like bathrooms or storage closets. Um, but there was still an industrial sink in part of the space, you know, because when I got there, it, things were still in progress. They had built out one studio and then they were trying to raise money so that they could complete another studio. So they were, they were broadcasting from what will eventually be their production studio. Um, and then they still had some raw space that still needed to be worked on. They had their official launch, um, in May, 2016, but that was pretty low key and they still didn't have a lot of live shows at that point. A lot of it was pre-produced. So, the, so in October they were still very much in, in startup mode and there was a lot of interest, a lot of show applications had been turned in, but it was still a pretty small roster of live shows as they were just sort of getting things up and running so it's a mix. It's a mix of live local shows and some syndicated programming. Um, and an interesting, you know, interesting place in a hotel. They, they've signed up as a Pacifica affiliate. So they're airing some of their syndicated programming and they, you know, have access to, to shows that are within the Pacifica network. And so like democracy now, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. They're running democracy now. And actually, um, KUOZ also runs Democracy Now. Hmm. So at, both stations at the University of Ozarks, yeah. Yeah, so both stations that I'm talking about today run Democracy Now. Coincidentally. <laughs> so, and this is owned KPSQ there in Fayetteville. They are owned by this Omni Center f mm -hmm. for Peace and Justice. Uh, what do you know about this organization? Because uh, often we've seen. Um, in many cases, you know, we, we talk quite a bit, of course, about stations that are owned by universities and colleges, or sometimes they're, they're, they're nonprofits that seem more having been put together for the purpose of, of starting a radio station. Uh, this sounds like a, an organization that has been around for a while that with, a, with like a social justice mis mission, right? Yeah. So um, I talked to a whole bunch of people during my visit, um, including the station manager, Joe Newman. Uh, I'm Joe Newman. I'm what they call the station manager. I have no radio experience. Uh, I've always been a community activist, uh, always been interested in media reform. And um, when I heard of the opportunity, uh, we worked with the Omni Center for Peace, Justice, and Ecology, a local nonprofit, kind of the center for progressive action in our area, and asked them if they would be interested in being the licensee. And it seems to fit with the whole mission of the station, um, which is to inform and empower listeners to play an active role in our radio station and in the community. So, you know, their programming is aligned with the mission of the Omni Center, focusing on things like peace and equality and democracy. And, you know, certainly some shows from Pacifica reflect that. Um, but, you know, it's also sort of a typical community radio station in that there's a variety of programming. So there sure. are a lot of music shows um, as well as, as public affairs and talk shows. Right. I mean, I think as many people in community radio would argue, and I would argue cultural programming can uh, transmit these messages and perhaps stimulate conversation and thought as well as, you know, talk programming can. <laughs> Yeah. And, and having, and really reflecting your community, you know, I thought it was, I think it's really interesting to have at least two shows that are specifically focused on local music. So there's one that's looking at Northwest Arkansas music and the musicians. So they do interviews with the musicians. And then there's another one that's focused on music from the Ozarks. So, you know, mountain entertainment, um, and some, history of the Ozarks, um, stories of some of these characters from the area. So, you know, especially for me being from California, it's, it's always really interesting, I think, to 
visit a station in another part of the country and, and learn about how it's representing its local culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this sounds, uh, like it's off to an auspicious start. I mean, I think often just the, the things like having a having a, a good studio and a good place to put your transmitter is is is, is amongst the, the major challenges that new low power FMs uh, face uh, in, in going on the air. And so it, it's cool to hear that uh, that there are actually two really cool stations there in Fayetteville, one at the university and one community radio station. And I think, you know, in my view, that that they are complementary. More Ray alternatives is better than fewer. They're not competition. And I and I, I think that's all the better for the people of Fayetteville. Yeah. And I think actually there's another LPFM in Fayetteville also. Um, you know, unfortunately, like there aren't enough hours in the day. And I think I sort of realized too late that, you know, oh, there's another one I should be visiting. Um, so it's super cool to hear. And, and Fayetteville, I didn't have a lot of time to explore, but some people described it as being sort of like the Austin of, of Arkansas. So it, it, it seems like it, it has a really interesting arts oriented community there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then they, and they, now they have the radio stations there to support it. And is the, uh, the Chancellor hotel, is it right? It's right there on the square in, in old town. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's sort of right when they have that that arts uh, that monthly arts festival. Uh, the radio station's right there. It probably can even look out the window. Yeah, and they were. Um, I was supposed to arrive in time to kind of see them in action, but you know, I think they were out there handing out promotional materials during. It's like a first first Fridays or first Thursdays, uh-huh. whatever day of the week it was. Right, right, was right. It's a common, yeah. It's a common sort of uh, community art theme. I think a lot of cities now. Uh, run these these kind of like like first Friday first Thursday sort of arts uh, gatherings where people either go into studios or artists bring their work out onto the streets. It's a wonderful thing. And right, that's you know uh, people ask me all the time, uh, both you know from new LPFMs and from existing stations, but also podcasters. You know what can we do to to raise the profile? What can we do to market our station? And they often you know they want to know sort of like. They want to know these, like, I think, marketing tips that you would use for uh, if you were selling a new widget, right? <laughs> or you're selling a new, like, subscription box. And 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 and, and so it's like, well, really, especially for low-power FM, but I think this goes for community podcasting and other community radio, too. Like, get out on the streets. Get, you know, walk out there with, right, make some flyers up, you know, spend a few dollars on photocopies, you know, put on your radio station t-shirt. And if you don't have one, get one made or get a radio station hat and right, go to where people who clearly care about community things, farmers markets, uh, art festivals, uh, first Friday, first Thursday kind of thing and press some flesh, right? Go out there and make sure people know about it. Um, that that is so valuable because uh, in those things you may be the only radio station going out and doing that. Yeah, and you mentioned farmers market KUOZ at University of the Ozarks. I think one of the first live remotes um, that one of the folks that I talked to there had participated in was an attempt to broadcast from the farmers market. It ended up not working, but you know it was a noble effort. So you know, both of these stations that I talked to have been looking at ways to interact with the community in person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, finding maybe business partners, whether it's it's underwriting or just partners who will work on promotion with you, right? It's the same thing. Get out on the streets. Where does your signal go? Especially with a low power FM, right? Because you can probably walk it. You probably can walk your entire signal area, or at least a few of you can team up and walk into the walk into your local businesses, your cafes, your restaurants. But but don't limit yourself. You know, dentist offices, accountants, real estate agents. Introduce yourself. Make sure they know about your station. Ask to put you know maybe a flyer in their window. But also find out. Hey, what do you think? What do what do you think we can do to better serve our community and take that information back? Because I mean, they'll appreciate you even asking. In, on the first hand. Uh, but then, you know, now you may have met a new ambassador, right? Someone who may spread the word about your station uh, to other people. And so it, it's great, though, when I mean, so when I can hear that there's a station sort of such a central location to a city where where clearly that that central location has some vibrancy, right? People on the streets and things going on. Uh, it's such an opportunity and it, it's so good for the station and it's so good 
for the community. Yeah, I mean, that's how you find potential volunteers, potential donors, potential underwriters, ideas for public service announcements, you know, it's all connected. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so interesting. And, and it's great to just collect as you do these stories and we, we, we hear some of the things that are recurring, uh, but it often then also reinforces, right. And I, and I love to be able to do with, with your tours as part of it is, is to take, you know, these examples of success or at least, uh, you know, things in practice that other stations can pull from, right? It becomes sort of a, uh, ideas and opportunities that, that other stations, whether they're low power FM community online only or, or podcasters, because, you know, I know podcasters often, they want to jump up to the top of the, of, of the iTunes charts, but uh, an important reminder as it is with the same thing with a radio station audience, it's built one listener at a time, right? You, you know, you really don't jump from zero listeners to 100,000 listeners. You jump from zero to one, then one to two, two to 10, and on and on and on. And a lot of that can really can be built and should be built a handshake at a time, you know, person to person, uh, because that is the singular grand advantage of community radio, community podcasting, college radio, is that it's full of actual real people who fill that airtime uh, 24-7 in one way, shape, or form, rather than it being principally two or three voice-tracked DJs. It's real people, every single one of whom is is an ambassador, right? And an ambassador for the station and for the community. And and so I really appreciate you going out and doing these visits and, and bringing back all this, this good information. Yeah, I mean, I learn, I learn something from every tour. I think any of us that are involved with radio – you know, you can't help but pick up new ideas and get new inspiration every time you set foot in another station. Well, you know, it's interesting. So we started the top of the show talking about, you know, CMJ, which, 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 which is sad. And yet what we also hear about and what you reported on is folks coming in now to help make sure that there's still these services, these charting services to serve radio. And they're not doing it right because they're looking to take down CMJ. They're filling in a need, right? And and they see it both in independent music and independent radio. And here we have, you know, a low power FM station at a, at a university, at a very, very small university that's uh, been on the air since uh, 2003, showing that it's sustainable and it's sustainable at a small college, right? That you, that, you know, it, it's when I hear about, when I hear about, you know, a station at a big university often complaining, oh, but students just aren't interested, right? Oh, they just don't care. They're not interested where maybe you have seven, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 students. I just, that little voice in the back of my head goes, well, are you sure? <laughs> because if the, if the university of the Ozarks, with 700 students has no problems keeping its low power FM going strong, you know, in, in their own way. Like I wonder, Hmm, maybe a little bit more can be done. Maybe, maybe it's just time to, to change your tactic and try a little harder. Um, it's so great to hear the success stories here that most of the dues we have here is good. Yes, <laughs> I know. Well, there's always good news in college radio I think, and community radio and podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, there's, there's, um, I think, I don't know, you know, like the mainstream media tends to write about radio when there's a negative story. So, um, I, that's why we're always combating that with, no, <laughs> there's great news every week. You know, there's certainly there's bad news that happens too. Um, but there are it's new tough. stations. There are new stations cropping up all the time. There's interesting programming being created all the time, interesting events. Well, so, and, and still, you know, I mean, part of it is that the commercial radio establishment has its own press, you know, that, that, that serves its interests well, I guess. And they, but it serves, I mean, you know, it's, it's primary concern is in service to program directors, station managers, engineers, and stockholders. Uh, so they're not, you know, often going to have the bandwidth to 
talk about college or your community radio. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not casting shadow on them. I'm not throwing shade. I'm acknowledging, you know, they have advertisers, they have real bills to pay. Uh, they have, you know, staffers to pay, uh, and that is the business they're in. Right. So, and, and then in, in public radio has its own sort of media complex. There's current, uh, which is a wonderful job and does cover community radio and does cover college radio. It, they do, the folks there really do try to fit in that coverage. Uh, although principally they're there and their raison d'etre is to serve public radio and television. So not just public radio. So there's only going to be so much room for it. Right. And so outside of that, right, where else, you know, where's the coverage? We understand that it's that, you know, it's only going to get so much coverage anywhere outside of people who really care about community in college radio um, and and community broadcasting in all of its forms. And, uh, you know, uh, it's great. You know, as I said earlier, it's so great that uh, Pitchfork has taken an interest in covering these stories um, in in college radio and in, in about CMJ. And yeah, you know, but otherwise it's us. <laughs> really? I mean, the NFCB has stepped up a little bit of what they publish, you know, uh, uh, with uh, Ernesto Aguilar, a friend of the show, doing many, writing many more pieces and doing more of his own kind of reporting for NFCB. But he's just one guy. And that's just a little tiny part of his job, too. So, uh, yeah, yeah. We, it's, it's up to us to hold that torch. I know. Well, and, and Radio World, um, which, you know, I... I contribute to Radio World yeah. as well. So I'm often pitching college radio stories to them. And they have they have some online-only com- content, too. They have regular columns from College Broadcasters, Inc., sharing college radio news. So I think Radio World is definitely trying to... Oh, yeah, to absolutely. They really do. More voices. Absolutely. But, you know, again, they they are there to serve the larger radio industry as a whole, Right. They are not there just simply to serve college and community radio and they serve and and, you know, with, and for Radio World, their audience includes as an international audience, their, their audience includes both people in the commercial and, and public radio and community and college. It's a large constituency and oh, yeah. with a lot and- to lot competing for their time and much of what they focus on is has an engineering bent which is sort exactly. of universal, like it's applicable everywhere, but it, it isn't necessarily specific to college and community radio. And a lot of it, uh, they do a lot of policy reporting, which is also really important, but they're thinking about, you know, 10,000 some stations across the country that they need to uh, serve with this information. Exactly. So these are all the reasons I started spinning in 2008 and, you know, cause the landscape, there weren't really people writing about college radio then and there still aren't no. today. <laughs> no, it, I mean, and, and, but, but you've been doing it now. You've been doing it of course with radio survivor with us. Uh, we're very grateful since 2009 we've been covering all of these things now with the podcast. I feel like I've now lapsed into a pledge drive. So I'm just going to give you the call. To, <laughs> I'm going to give you that call to action, which is please go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. Because we could do so much more. I mean, sometimes it's a little frustrating even being us because we know we could do so much more if any one of us could dedicate more time. Um, and being able to dedicate more time simply basically means uh, doing it instead of something that may be bringing in more money. Uh, and none of us is looking, I think, <laughs> I'd love to get rich, but I don't think we're going to get rich on this. No one goes into community or college radio. And most people don't even go into public radio thinking they're going to get rich. They go into it for the mission because they believe in it because they love it and it's nice to maybe also buy some food pay your rent have some medical care and on and on so anything (laughs) that you all can help us with if you can make a regular contribution on a monthly basis i mean even just a dollar a month helps but if you can give more that would be great uh you know we have we work through an organization called patreon which allows you to set that up and you can start it or stop at any time we do occasionally we do some uh, patreon only content we uh when we have a few little tidbits to share that that's only for people who contribute, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Radio Survivor. Uh, also, if if you just got a one-time uh, contribution to make, we appreciate it. We'll, we, we're glad to have it. Anything you can share, that would be great. Uh, go to radiosurvivor.com slash support to learn how to do that. And also, tell a friend, spread the word, tweet, Facebook, write it down on a piece of paper and slip it to somebody across the uh, across the table at the diner. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of people who 
uh, have never heard of Radio Survivor. Crazy. I know. <laughs> well, it saddens me because I meet people who I know would be interested in what we're doing. Yeah. So it, it definitely helps when when people listening and reading share it with other people. Yeah. Help us help us uh, press the flesh and spread the word if you will. We really do appreciate it. And you know, we appreciate now this hour that you spent with us this week. Uh you know, we have so many things competing for our time online, offline, uh whether whether it's Facebook or uh Netflix or I don't know, leaving the house and going with your family to the park. Um so the fact that you've spent an hour with us this week, we really appreciate it. Uh you know, we don't take it for granted and every single listener there, as I sort of said before, uh, you know, the audiences build one listener at a time. And, and you, the person listening right now, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate you spending the time. Yes, I would like to echo that as well. Thank you. And uh, if you have any comments, send them to us. Uh, send it to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. You could tweet us. We're at Radio Survivor. We're also on Facebook at Radio Survivor. We're easy to find. Uh, let us know. What do you think? Uh, do you, do, is there someone we should be talking to? Should we be talking to you? Or do you have a comment? Um, you know, we had Ernesto uh, two episodes ago from the NFCB. Uh, he was uh, so enervated by <laughs> what by the previous show that he, he recorded a commentary for us. And the great thing now is like with a smart phone you kind of have radio production in your pocket so record like a voice memo and uh just send it off to us uh and uh we'll we'll put it on the air we'll put it on the show we would like this to be a conversation wherever it can be so just drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com jennifer thank you so much uh for visiting all these amazing stations in arkansas and bringing back uh some audio and your experiences It's my pleasure. It was an amazing trip.